this foolishness. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being here this morning, everyone. Let me say this as we begin this morning. One of the things that this church does very well, I didn't say only one thing, but one of the things, <clears throat> is you all are great in recruiting and evangelizing people for Alpha. You go out, come to Alpha, come to Alpha, and that's the way it should be. And so let's not stop that. But equal to that evangelism is the evangelism of bringing people into the study of the word. So what happened? Who was it who said, come and see? Remember Andrew? Come see a man. Listen to a teacher. Come see. Come see. He invited his brother, remember. And so let me ask you to do this as if the word of God is ministering to you at all, hopefully you want it to minister to others and to be encouraging people to be here. There are two or three couples. I thought I saw Kurt come in this morning. Where are y'all? Two or three couples that when I ask them, please come, there they are, new people. Folks, we want you. We need you. We want you in the study. So let's be like that. If you're not knowing how to do that, if you need some instruction of how to do it, Frank Loria is. No, 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 really. Frank Loria is one of the best in this, in inviting people to the Lord. He's one of the best. So get with Frank and figure out how to do it, and he'll show you how to do that. Secondly, uh, I have done what I said I would do, making sets of copies of my own personal notes that I use for this class. Here's some up here on the table up here. If you can get them away from this group of ladies up here, good for you. If we need more, if you want more and you didn't get a set and you want one for your own personal um, study, please let us know. Put your name on a piece of paper or whatever. Let us know so we can know how to, many to produce for the next time. And one more thing. Sorry for all the announcements on the beginning of the tape. Next week, of course, the men's retreat. There won't be a man in here. Every man in here will be at the retreat. And so uh, that's not a, a statement of prophecy. That's just a statement of an old man. But the men will be at the men's retreat next week, and so we're asking the ladies to be up here praying for the men, praying for the Spirit of the Lord to minister. And so this time next week will be a time of prayer. Uh, the ladies. And it doesn't mean that if one of the men or some of you are not able to go to the retreat or whatever that you can't come in. You really should come on in and be a part of the prayer time for next week. Amen? Okay. Now, again, do be praying for the men's retreat. Begins Friday night, continues through midday Sunday. So be praying for that time. Well, again, thank you for being here as we continue. This morning, well, let's do it. <clears throat> Last week, what we've learned that God created M. Adam in his image. What Bible verse is that? Let us make man according to our, in our image according to our likeness. What is it? Genesis what? 1, 26. <clears throat> if there's any Bible verse other than 316 of John that you should know, and maybe even as well as that verse, you should know by now, having been in this class at least one week, that Genesis 1, 26 is one of my favorite verses. Why? 
Not because, oh, I just love the verse because I love the verse. Because in it, God declares his great purpose for humanity. And as I said before, everything comprehensively and collected together about our lives individually and corporately is contained in that verse. Anything you want to know about your life, anything, go to that verse and ask God, how does this decision, this thought, this way of life, whatever it is, how does this promote your image? How does it do that? Or is it doing that? If it isn't, stop it. If it is, pursue it. Amen? Amen. And so you're thinking, should I go and do such and such? Well, before you say, well, you know, I can do that. I have freedom to do that. You know, it's okay to do that. Everybody, you know, it's don't answer those questions. Those are deceptive questions. Ask this question. What does it have to do with being the image of God? What does it have to do with my displaying this holy, loving, gracious, triune majesty? And if you get a check in your spirit, if you can't figure it out, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't say it. Don't receive it. Amen? I, I tell you, this is how we should be living our life. Under the umbrella of God's purpose. So remember, we've learned that God created Adam in his image. Why? For the purpose of revealing essentially what? And I'm, gonna, I'm hurrying, and I know I'm only not even in your notes yet. I'm on my way, and I'm in a hurry right now, but I can't be too much of a hurry. Why does God want Adam to be in his image? What is it about God intrinsically inside of God that God is desiring to administer or reveal through Adam? By the way, don't ever say God is trying. If it's a term that I hate, God is trying to say something. What, what in the world? Poor God. He is just, Johnny, he's just trying, babe. I'm trying. I'm trying. God doesn't try anything. He either does or doesn't. Can you say amen? amen. He doesn't. Right, Phil? I've never seen God try a thing. God is communicating what in his image? Essentially, what is it about himself that he is communicating? His triunity, that he is three. This is the essential revelation of the glory of God. This is where the focus, the core, if you would, the source of God's glory is. That in the one being of this great God, there exists three distinct divine persons living in eternal community of fellowship through roles of love. That is the glory of God. And in any way and in any circumstance where that is displayed, there is the glory of who our God is. Amen? So when we want to know glory, look at the nature of God 
and how he is in himself and how he functions as a community of three distinct divine persons within himself. There is the glory of God. And on earth is displayed visibly in the church. Amen? That's what the image of God is all about. And so we learned that God created Adam in his image for the purpose of revealing his triunity, his triune nature. This was to be accomplished how? As Adam fulfilled the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. Each of these offices or roles had something to say about one of the persons of God. In each role, prophet, priest, and king, one of the persons of God, the role of one of the persons of God is revealed in each of these offices. In each of these offices, prophet, priest, and king is revealed the role of one of the persons of God. So you see why it is essential that if God is going to be manifested on earth, he give Adam these three roles, and it is essential if Adam is going to be God's image bearer that he has to function correctly and continually in these three roles simultaneously, simultaneously at one time. And so in the role of king, the father is in view. In the role of prophet, the Holy Spirit is in view. In the role of priest, the Son is in view. This is just, we've already talked about this. This should be old hat to us now. Going back and bringing this up a little bit so we can move forward. If I don't do this, I always am concerned as a teacher that you're going to begin, you know, you'll forget and you won't be able to be carried as well. And so, as Adam fulfilled these three roles, what is he doing? He is imaging the triunity of God and he is imaging it in a way that all three persons of God in their respective, in each respective role is being manifested in each of the roles that Adam is carrying out simultaneously to show that they're all three persons, but simultaneously God is functioning this way. Amen. And so what we see here in this simultaneous uh, activity of three roles in a loving relationship, what we see here is that great work of unity, that great reality of unity. So Deuteronomy 6.4 says what? Remember the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It means one and only, and it means one in unity. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so you see that is so much of the burden and the emphasis of Jesus in John 17 as he prays. This unity, this unity. You see it's Paul's burden in Ephesians 4 as he has given us three chapters about the church and what the church is all about. And then he says what? I therefore prison Lord, what? Ask you what? To what? Strive to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of love. Why? Because it is in this unity and in the display and in the function and the guarding and the maturing of this unity within the church that God is displayed correctly and truthfully and clearly and compellingly to all the world. Amen? 
We can go on for that. That's another teaching. I cannot get into that today. But you see, Adam failed. Therefore, God sent his beloved son. Remember, you are my beloved son, Matthew 3.17. Also in Luke 3.21. You are my beloved son. God sends his beloved son in order to do what Adam refused to do. Adam refused to walk this way. And so God will raise up another Adam who will come. And who will walk this way. So last week, we learned that Christ fulfilled the role of king. Remember that? We talked about that. He fulfilled the role of king as he applied his authority in the various areas of life. Remember? Having authority, having authority, exercising authority and rule and dominion. And so we went through some of those activities. Today, what we're going to do is look at how Christ fulfilled the role of prophet. And as we do this, I want to make sure we do it correctly. It is easy to talk about Jesus is king, put it in a box, there he is. Now, Jesus is prophet, put it in a box now. And Jesus is uh, priest, put it in a box now. And these are three things. No. There are three that function simultaneously, intertwining each other and are in unity, if you would, displaying that God is one. So Jesus is the king. He comes as king. But now we will begin to see that as this king, Jesus has authority to rule and to reign upon the earth, but also he has authority to function as God's prophet. And when he functions as God's prophet, he is not laying down his authority as king, but he is the king who is also the prophet as he is the king. So he is the king who is a prophet. He is the prophet who is a king. So let's not make these divergent or distinct, rather, issues in and of themselves separated from one another. We can look at them distinct uh, individually, but we have to look at them within the context that they are three indivisible works, indivisible works, interrelated works, if you would. As God's prophet, you remember, Adam was to pass the word of God to his generations so that they would fill the earth with the kingdom of God. The Lord said, and remember Genesis 1:28, God blessed them, and he says, what, be fruitful and multiply and do what? And fill the earth. Well, fill the earth with what? Just a bunch of kids? No, fill the earth with the presence and the authority through the ministry of, of God, through the ministry of God's word. As you pass on through your own personal obedience and through your administration of the word, Adam, that you have received from God, passing it on through personal obedience and through giving it to your children in instruction and teaching and warning and correction and all the ways, you see, that we pass the word on so that the earth may be filled with a generate with a people who are the people of God so that the earth beginning in the garden of Eden Eden, and passing into all the world so that one day the world will become God's garden, God's temple, God's dwelling place. And so that the earth will be filled with the kingdom of God 
through the administration of the word of God. Because you see, and we'll find this out, and you already know this, God's kingdom does not come on earth except it comes through the administration of God's word to declare his will. So this is the way Adam was to be a prophet, taking the word of God and applying it to the life of other people, particularly his own children or his generations or the seed of Adam. But again, when Adam failed, God promised, remember, to send another Adam. Remember that, Genesis 3.15? I'm promising I'm going to send another Adam who would fulfill the role of prophet so that the kingdom of God would fill the earth according to Genesis 1.28. So what is the function of the prophet of God? It is one who is a spokesman of God to declare the word of God for the establishment and building and proliferation of God's kingdom. What? God's rule. So that God's, God will have, through his people, through his image bearers, God will have dominion and rule over the earth, as we see in that verse in Genesis 1.28. So the kingdom of God is done, is proclaimed this way by God's authority in Adam, as Adam authoritatively now proclaims the word of God or applies the word of God in such a way that the kingdom is being built. He fails, so Jesus comes now as God's royal agent upon the earth and begins to function authoritatively as God's prophet to proclaim the word of God so that the kingdom of God is established upon the earth. Now, let's look a little bit at the ministry of the Old Testament prophet, and this is a very sketchy thumbnail sketch you know, of this. It's, it's just a real passing through. Just kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. Many years after the fall, a whole long time after the fall, God used, and you remember this because we're going through Exodus, God used Moses to bring his people out of Egypt to Mount Horeb to form them into his nation upon the authority of God's word. How did Moses break the authority of Pharaoh? How did he do it? He spoke the word of God against the rule of Pharaoh. Amen? Amen? Moses was given authority as a king. And one of the things we're going to look at next time we come together is the similarity between Moses and Jesus as Moses was the Old Testament type and also David an Old Testament type and Abraham an Old Testament type and Joseph as an Old Testament type. So many of them of this one who would come to fully, finally, and forever and absolutely faithfully fulfill the three roles. And so God calls Moses, anoints Moses. You remember Exodus 3. If you don't, you saw the movie, so you know all about it. And he anoints Moses, and he gives him authority. What is that in your hand? The staff, the authority. And go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, speak the word of God. Be my ruling authority and my prophet. Amen? And so how does Moses, how does God break the power of the God of this world who had the people of God in his clutches? How does he do it? He breaks it through the authoritative proclamation of his word through his anointed prophet Moses. It's prophetic. It's the ministry that Adam was, should have, 
administered when that slippery, slimy serpent came into the garden. Where did the snake come from? Where did he come from? It says he was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. The field was outside the garden. Yes, this is a mystery. No, I don't understand it, Frank. I just don't get it all. I can't explain it other than this is what the Word of God said. So something is going on here. There is the Garden of Eden where the purpose of God is being fully met, where everything is according to God's will. That's the Garden of Eden, where everything is according to God's will. Amen? That's the place of God's glory upon the earth before the serpent came in. Adam was to what? Work and keep the garden. Genesis 2, 15, remember that? He was supposed to work and keep. He was supposed to guard and maintain the garden. And the enemy was outside. Butch, he was outside. Some way the enemy had access into the garden, Steve. We don't know how. Did he knock on the door? Did he come under a curtain? I don't know how he got in, but he got into the garden. And what should Adam have done? He should have done what Moses was sent to do. Speak the word of God against your being in here and kick his <coughs> out of the garden. Excuse me for coughing. Sometimes a cough saves me from being using words that may be inappropriate. And so the Lord calls Moses, Moses <clears throat> to do this in 19.3 of Exodus. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, remember it's Mount Horeb in the mountains of Sinai, the mountain range Sinai, Horeb is a particular mountain. And he said, this is what you shall say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So Moses is established as God's prophet. And so when they are at the base of Horeb, the nation is there. Moses is up in the mountain and the Lord says, here, I'm sending you back to the people as my prophet. And this is what you're going to tell them. This is how my nation will be established through the proclamation of my word. So what happened? Moses gave the law. What is the law? The law was the codification, the boundaries, the setting forth of the foundation of what kind of a nation Israel will be. And so how were they established as a nation? Hey, y'all want to have be a nation? Let's come together and let's... No. God called them and he instructed them and he bound them together. Bound them together as a nation and underpinned them with the foundation and bound them through the walls of his word so that they were to walk as a nation totally enveloped in the will and in the word of God as proclaimed by Moses. So a nation, a kingdom is going to be established through the giving of the word of God by this prophet Moses. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Okay. <clears throat> Now, from that time on, Israel was to be God's kingdom. Remember, in 19.6 of Exodus, you're going to be my kingdom, my nation. His people established upon and faithful to his word. Why? So that in Israel, the image of God may be able to be established and be proliferated into all the world. You see, Israel was to then take up where Adam failed through the leadership of Moses and when Moses died through the continuing leadership of those men whom God would raise up to be leaders <clears throat> and through a group of people, men, 
called the prophets who would be sent to Israel from time to time whenever needed. Sometimes needed just because they needed encouragement. Sometimes needed because they were being stiff-necked. But whatever the need was, God would raise up these men, his prophets, <clears throat> to come into the nation and to administer God's word of encouragement, correction, or whatever, adjustment and leadership warning, whatever the word would be, so that the nation would be able to continue as God's nation for the purpose of God's will. So a prophet was God's spokesman, one who came from the presence of God, having been given the word of God, and then having been given that word was to deliver that word to the people, all kinds of words. We don't have, we could do it one day, a study of the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. It would be a major study, which is fine, but we can't do it this morning. But I think many of you know enough about some of the prophets. In fact, you go back and read the, whether it's called the major and minor prophets. Major meaning they wrote a lot of words. Minor meaning they didn't write as many words, but not as far as the content is concerned. Major minor just how many words they wrote. And so read these men and see what they said and how they were used. This was the prophetic ministry. It was a ministry which was undergirded by and was focused on or was a re, uh, accentuated the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember what we're talking about. The ministry of royal rule focuses on the Father's role. The prophetic role focuses on the Spirit's role. Remember what this is all about. Remember what it's about. It's about the revelation of God's triunity. Amen? Let us not ever forget that. All of this is fundamentally significant and powerful and motivating and effective to the extent that it is about God himself. Sometimes we kind of come away from that and we get into other areas. It's okay to do that as long as when we get into other areas, we remember to focus back on our source. God's revelation of who he is is what's going on here. And it will always be what's going on here forever and ever. Now, the role of the prophet, remember, was to speak the word of God. There were basically two basic aspects of this role. There was the foretelling, F-R-E, foretelling. What does it mean? He was to speak the word of God into the current condition. Into the current condition. Thus saith the Lord. You're worshiping idols. Stop it. Thus saith the Lord. You're not giving your tithe. Stop it. Thus saith the Lord. Be careful of those people over there. Thus saith the Lord. Go conquer those people. Whatever it is. Thus saith the Lord. The, the present activity of God was manifested and communicated through foretelling. I'm foretelling. Foretelling. This was probably the major way the prophets function. Just give the word of God out. So foretelling was a speaking into current or about current conditions. The other one was foretelling. The foretelling was speaking about coming events or coming conditions. Current events, foretelling. Forth, I'm foretelling. Foretelling is what? Coming events. 
you always, you know, I have to think about each one of those things. Now, unfortunately, the church today really gets excited about this foretelling. Are we in the tribulation period? Are these the last days? Who's the Antichrist? When are we going to be raptured? Do you believe in the rapture? Is Jesus returning and how? Well, that's fine. But the major issue was giving the word into current events. But giving a word into current event never did complete the word of God or the purpose of God until it was tacked on to or underpinned by the return of Christ. The reason we are to be who we are and to act the way we do is because one day God will bring us all together in Christ before his throne and evaluate every one of us as to what issue. What will be the issue of evaluation? I believe it will be how well did you image me in your various roles and in your walk and in your thoughts and your actions and your motives and all of that. How well did you roll me, if you would, image me in the church and what you did in the church and who you are in the church? and how you cooperated in the church, or how you didn't cooperate in the church, how you forgave one another, how you ministered to one another, how you were available to one another, how you helped one another. All of that has to do with your imaging God. And so when we look at that, we begin all of a sudden to realize, wait a minute, I don't want to be tricked by Satan. That if something happens, I'm upset. And I'm going to have an attitude. That's a false image. That's an idol. That's an idol. That's something that has replaced God. You see, idolatry is just not pornography. Idolatry can be a wave of things. I have to fight idolatry all the time in my life. Do you? I have to fight the issue because there's ever, ever the flesh wanting to have gods other than God himself. So this is when you see in the Ten Commandments, what does the Lord say in Exodus 20, verse 3? Remember, I am the Lord who brought you out of the house of bondage, out of the Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What? You shall have no other gods before me. There's the commandment. That's the umbrella. The next nine statements or explanations or unpacking of that verse. No other gods before me. The next nine are the unpacking of what that means. What's the second commandment? You shall not make unto yourself any graven image or idol. Mean what? I am your image. I am to be the in me. You are to image me on earth. Have no other gods before me. Anything else that comes into that is an idol. You see that immediately. That's God's first priority. After declaring to be an image bearer, we are warned not to let other images creep in and be images of other things, of attitudes, of angers, of frustration, of disobedient, outright rebellion. We have to be careful about that. We have to be careful. It's a struggle. But is it? Why is it hard? You ever thought, why, is, why are some of these things hard? How many of you struggle with some of this? I do. How many of you struggle with some of this? Come on, don't we all struggle? Sure, we do. We, you know why we struggle, Belton? Because we're human beings. 
Wow. But how many of us find it difficult? And the question is this. Why is it difficult? Where's the difficulty? Think about whatever it is you're thinking about in your own life. Pinpoint the difficulty. Where is the difficulty? Is it not in I don't want to obey God? I'm sorry. That's the bottom line. The difficulty is this always. Always. I don't want to obey God. I don't want to. You ever hear that from your kids? I don't want to. I don't want to. That's where the difficulty is. What is that called? Rebellion. Rebellion. Aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) So, forth telling. Let me move along. The prophets spoke the word of God in the current events. Israel's prophets were God's messengers who came to administer God's law into the life of the nation. Applying the truth when the people had fallen into deception. Bringing correction where there was error. Overthrowing idolatry. Giving assurance in the midst of doubt. And so much more. The purpose of the prophetic role was the revelation and application of God's word. So that the nation would fill the earth with the image of God. You see that God established Israel to have the same purpose as he created Adam. And God has established the church to have the same purpose that he gave to Adam and Eve. Which is what? Let us make the church in our image according to our likeness. So that in and through the church, God is clearly and compellingly and consistently and corporately imaged upon the earth so that when the world looks at us me personally and us collectively where two or more gathered when the world sees us in all of the manifestations and the vicissitudes of life they are able to say this is what God is like oh oh this is the glory of God that's our call in everything we do. Forthtelling, speaking about coming events. The prophet would also speak about the latter days. Remember the last days or in that day. There are two or three different terms. The latter days, in that day, on the last days. Those days in which God's promise of a kingdom would be finally fulfilled. We are living in the last days. Why? Because these are the days beginning on the day of Pentecost, essentially. We could argue and go back to John 2, 17, but we won't. I'm sorry, uh, 20, 17, we won't. But beginning on the day of Pentecost, the church is established. Then what? The kingdom of God is established in such a visible way. Yes, the kingdom was here when Jesus was here. But I think you understand what I mean. The people of the kingdom finally are begun to be gathered together and to be made citizens of the kingdom and begin to proliferate the word of God. And the kingdom then begins to fill the earth beginning on the day of Pentecost. That's these days we're living in. 
This meant that the prophets would speak about the wonderful future for God's people as well as to speak about the judgments against the nations. You see, because the prophets brought God's word, whether people call negatively or positively, you know, I hear Christians say a negative, and I don't like any of that. It's God's word. And all of God's word is positive. I don't care how much warning it is. It's positive. It's not negative. It's positive. It's my opinion anyway. But God's word in the wonderful future for God's people and in the terrible future for those who are rebellious against God. They always brought that kind of a word when they were doing forthtelling. For instance, the prophet Jeremiah's example, as he declared the word of God that contains admonition, warning, and encouragement. So if you read Jeremiah, the preponderance of Jeremiah is about you're going to get this and you're going to get that and don't do that and be careful of that. He's warning about this great horrible invasion that's coming called the Babylonian captivity. You remember the Babylonians came in and then finally in 586 wiped out the city of Jerusalem, burned the temple, destroyed it all. Remember that and deported all most of the people. Remember where Daniel came from and Ezekiel came from and those people. Remember that. He warned them. But you see, in chapters 31 to 33, the prophet also foretold of God's mercy and salvation for his people through the coming of a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, there is coming a new covenant, a new covenant. Remember that? A new covenant. And when Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper said, this is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant what did those men remember <gasps> jeremiah promised this we are now sitting and eating and celebrating with him whom jeremiah prophesied who would come from god the messiah to establish the new covenant we are now in the midst of that happening as we eat this meal now they thought of course jesus was going to go outside we get your swords and Everything is destroyed, and I'm king. I'm going to sit on the throne. The way he did it was totally contrary to what they thought, but that they knew this was happening. Can you imagine what was going through their minds and their hearts as they sat there eating this meal? You see, we forget these things because we forget to bring all of the word to apply to all of the word. We forget to make the word a comprehensive word rather than bits and pieces. And so they were sitting there gathering their thoughts. And when he said this, can you imagine what was flooding into their minds? All this Old Testament foretelling of the latter days. And we are eating and drinking the meal that is celebrating. In some way, we don't get it, but we're drinking and eating the meal that is celebrating the inauguration of that great time when God's kingdom shall come on earth. You see, all of these prophets combined, though, from Moses on or really from whoever on, all of the Old Testament prophets combined were unable to accomplish God's purpose to establish his kingdom to fill the earth. They all, it happened to bits and pieces, but it didn't happen fully, did it? It failed until the coming of the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, 18. Moses is instructing the people in Deuteronomy, his farewell address, giving them the law the second time, therefore the second 
uh, uh, law, Deuteronomy, and he's giving the people this, and he says this in uh, chapter 18 of uh, Deuteronomy, verse 18. I, and he's quoting the Lord, and the Lord says this to Moses, I will raise up for them, for the people, a prophet like you. So you see, Moses, you have been a type of the one who is coming among their brothers, like you among the brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, a prophet, his words, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Years later, that prophet is born into the world. And we'll see in a week or two that people recognize, could it be, is he that prophet? Is he the prophet? Well, what does that mean? Who, it's back to Deuteronomy, the promise that God gave Moses. You're a prophet. You're doing a wonderful work. The nation is established, but it's never going to be fulfilled until that prophet whom I will raise up in the latter days will come. See, the Lord would fulfill this predictive promise in his son who would exercise his royal authority in the role or as in the role of a prophet in order to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth through the administration of his word. It would be the prophetic ministry of Jesus that would establish and build God's kingdom upon the foundation of God's word, thus fulfilling Genesis 1.28, to fill the earth with the presence of God's glory through his people. Amen. So the next time we get together, we'll talk about Christ as prophet. Be praying for the men's retreat and the ladies who are here next Sunday. Y'all come back and be in the room for prayer. And do share with others to come to the School of the Word. We want this room to be overflowing with people. Thank you so much.